0: Hi, and welcome to The Eternal Wanderer, a history podcast that I have decided to start thinking there's not enough history podcasts in the world, but to add a little twist to it, I thought I would focus on a very particular subject, and that is the uh, specific group of people, so travelers, explorers, people who have either through their own volition or through whatever life threw at them have been forced to go from their place of origin and explore the world so without further ado i thought the uh first episode should focus on a man called yasuke to exemplify this and i hope uh, many of you will enjoy it or at the very least will suffer through my uh wittering on and find something interesting to google later (laughs) so uh, who is Yasuke? Yasuke was a man of African origin who, uh, the course of his life, ended up in Japan in the 1500s and became a samurai. He had essentially risen through the ranks uh, to be, to hold this very highly esteemed position. To those who don't know, I'll briefly summarize it as European knights. So usually people of the um, landed gentry, people from... Um, uh, royal f- families or very rich families who hold very high political and economical power uh, usually very highly regarded in their society and also very uh, militaristic so they are essentially a mix between a professional warrior class and, and a social class and in the midst of getting acclimated within Japanese society uh, Yasuke um, rub shoulders with one of the most recognizable uh, Japanese figureheads, uh, Oda Nobunaga, who was a warlord and pretty much de facto leader uh, of Japan at the time. Obviously massive asterisks are included with that statement but as introduction uh, that will suffice for now but we'll go into more detail later on. Um, Here Yasuke became embroiled in one of the biggest betrayals that that resulted in Oda Naga's ritual suicide in a burning temple. And now that I have your attention, I shall rewind back time and go through Yosuke's life as we know it's with you and see how he ended up Mind is obviously Yasuke's name as you might be wondering it sounds very Japanese but obviously with him not being from Japan what gives obviously the main the biggest assumption is when he came to Japan his name may have been Japanified uh, by the locals or interchanged to something that was uh, from something that was similar sounding so it, it could have been Isaac, Ishak, Isaki uh, obviously, depending from where he came from. That's something that we'll get into later as well. Because uh, with someone who isn't that featured in uh, main history, it's somewhat difficult to pinpoint exactly where he came from. But just to let everyone know going forward, he will be referred to as Yasuke even though that may have not been his actual name. So yes, where did he come from? Like I said before, there is difficulty in having a concrete 100 percent foolproof source although we do have francis Solier, who had written in 1627 so that was like a, definitely a few decades after mentions of yasuke uh ceased to be from primary sources so we are working with a secondary source so it's not contemporary but he has written he came from the mozambique obviously there is some debate whether that is true uh, some historians have pointed out that Yasuke's uh, physical appearance, as it's been described, is uh, not that similar to the people who lived in that area at the time. No sources say that he had filed teeth, for example. But there is some credence to that theory, definitely because um, there are records of people from Mozambique uh, coming to Japan as uh, as shipmates are born on board the ships. And some... Uh, sources also say that Yasuke knew Utenzi poetry uh, uh, which is from the Swahili dialect and would have been known again from that area at the time. However, there is an alternative theory suggested by the historian Thomas Lockley that uh, Yasuke came from a tribe called the Jang or if you go by non-contemporary British sources uh, who refer to them as the uh, Dinka people. Um, As British historians are wont to do, they Care very little for the naming conventions of the people themselves, so um, that's a not so subtle so, so slight against the British historians. <laughs> Either way, they would have been situated in what we now call the South Sudan, and uh, the credence for this theory is that um, uh, they match uh, Yasuke's uh, physical description a lot better, just in terms of their. Darker skin, taller height and their strength as Yasuke has been cited as having the strength of 10 men. Even if exaggerated, he definitely would have uh, been very strong. Oh, Although, again, to just put uh, a little disclaimer on this theory as well, is, uh, he would. Yasuke doesn't have any um, uh, ritual scars that the males would have had going through their maturity rituals. But... Again, if uh, Yasuke was uh, taken uh, by slave traders before he could have had a chance to participate in those rituals, then that would explain the lack of any description uh, from historical records when it comes to that about his physical appearance. Uh, So yes, it is most likely that he would have been taken as a child by slave traders, either by the Portuguese or Arabic traders, and uh, from their could have been sold to subsequent parties and ended up in India, either working as a child soldier or other some uh, occupation as that. Again, uh, just judging by his later accolades as being very proficient in uh, fighting, it it is uh, believable that that would have been the case. And yes, uh, throughout his time in India, he could have either been freed and became his own free man, or continued to the employ of uh, certain traders who would have made him get in contact with uh, the Jesuits. So let me quickly tell you about the Jesuits. Uh, they were formed in uh, 1540, um, but they were called the Society of Jesus. The Jesuits is kind of a name that was initially used as an insult against them, but then it kind of just became their name. And they were just missionaries that went to other countries to evangelize and convert uh, people to Catholicism. In doing so, they did do some good. Uh, They set up schools and leper colonies or hospitals. Of course, those were only accessible to people who converted. But uh, they did uh, at least try and educate people. So the schools taught philosophy and grammar. So at the time, very highly prized skills as um, obviously if you were able to read a lot more work that you would be able to do. In addition to that, um, uh, a lot of the early work that they did in their missionary work across the globe uh, did um, have a positive effect for historians as well. A lot of the letters they sent back to Rome giving reports and the dictionaries they created of the local languages are still highly useful today just to find out the phonetic uh, pronunciations and the spellings of the words that were used at the time so it's a treasure trove of knowledge but uh, before we give them too much credence um we should know that they were still made up of uh highly educated noblemen with influence and in fact a lot of the orders that were set up in all of these countries were later expelled because they were um, would have undue influence, shall we put it lightly, for and political interference into those uh, local countries. So they would uh, essentially uh, try and destabilise the regimes so as to allow more conversions for their religion. And um, what made it even more interesting when they came to Japan, uh, I think the first earliest record of that is in... Um, 1543 was the fact that they brought as things to trade uh one of the things they brought was an arquebus a matchlock gun which uh quickly got picked up by the local warlords as a commodity to be utilized and revolutionized their uh, military strategy so one of the reasons they gained such a good foothold in japan and proved their usefulness to the the locals was <laughs> because there were essentially priests that were gun runners for all intents and purposes so whatever missions of peace they had was quickly undermined <laughs> by their um, trade um, and also to sprinkle even worse things on top of that uh, they at the very least were middlemen for slave transactions in Japan so, Uh, as I'll later um, expand upon. It was a very um, tumultuous time in Japan's history and that created a lot of poverty and a lot of families, for example, couldn't uh, sustain uh, their um, children or they got into debt or any such reason would result in them selling off their children or people that were captive from wars would be... uh, uh, sold uh, overseas, so some travelled as far as Mexico, um, most would uh, serve in surrounding uh, Asian countries like Gao or Macau, uh, where the Jesuits also had bases, so yes, um, let's say a mixed bag of people, and that's who employed Yosuke, he was employed by Alessandro Vadignano a, as a ballet, Alessandro was a visitor for all of Asia, which is a highly prestigious position within the Jesuits. He was essentially the man in charge for all of Asia, stretching from East Africa all the way to Japan. Um, Pretty much anything he said goes. And over their travels, uh, they finally ended up in Japan in 1579. Uh, They uh, docked in uh, a small port town of Kushinatsu, uh, which is situated in Kyushu. As I've alluded to already, Japan was not a unified state at this time in history. Um, it was going through what is now called the Warring States Period, or sengoku Jidai, which essentially meant all these different provinces uh, had their own leader who were fighting for more land and power against one another. This all, to give a brief overview, started with a military dictatorship by what they called the Shogun, which was the leader in the 1100s, where uh, the generals took over and became the de facto leaders uh, against the Emperor, who was still maintained as a political figurehead. Essentially, whoever controlled the Emperor had political legitimacy, to rule the country so even though he remained the emperor he had no real power now and uh, throughout this the, um, the military dictator the shogun uh, appointed their own governors to watch over the lands and throughout these generations these governors slowly became feudal lords as they kind of announced their own independence that they didn't want to be governors more, they essentially claimed the land that they looked after as their own, as opposed to looking after it on the behalf of the, the shogun. And this is what led to the warring states period, where all these tiny little provinces and lords essentially were fighting one another. So yes, there was now no central power left uh, within Japan, which made some difficulties in terms of international relations for example um after the ningbo incident in china in 1823 where two of the uh, japanese uh, ruling families vied for um, trade deals with uh, with china and uh, when one of the families wasn't chosen decided to rampage and sack a city china pretty much cut off all um Direct trade for quite a bit of hardship in Japan in terms of uh, not being able to Have basic goods anymore such as you know silk or uh, Certain amenities that they just gotten used to but as a result of that uh, Japan had to open up to the wider world so they began uh, trading in other Asian countries creating a uh, trading clubs in Siam and Manila and Um, peddling their natural resources such as silver, copper, sulfur and as a a result a lot of these uh, other countries like Portugal for example uh, found a new source of uh, revenue first by trading directly with Japan giving them the Chinese goods that they weren't able to get themselves and uh, creating a lot of these uh, trading ports there and that's one of the ways that the missionaries came to be in uh, japan now one other important point to talk about when talking about the wider japanese context is of course the samurai what we're all here for today uh they were a hereditary military nobility essentially a social class they were also a professional warrior class by the time period that Yasuke was in it was essentially anybody that could fight could become a samurai so it allowed for a lot of great social mobility where if you proved your prowess on the battlefield you could rise up the ranks and become uh, one of these uh, warlords that were <laughs> vying for control and uh, one of the things that has fascinated people about uh, the samurai is their code of ethics and um, that uh, developed over time. Uh, it's now called uh, Bushido. Um, it's similar to the Code of Chivalry uh, that was practiced by the uh, European Knights. Um, although it wasn't called that at the time. It was a lot more looser and didn't wasn't even codified. It was more of a... whatever they chose to interpret it as, depending on what clan each samurai came from. But the... Uh, central tenets were kind of molded over the years by the introduction of uh Confucian thought um essentially the philosophies of the Chinese philosopher Confucius and um Buddhism particularly Zen Buddhism as opposed to other kinds of uh sects um such as Peace Land. Zen Buddhism specifically appealed to the Japanese because it's uh, encouraged uh frugalness and uh overcoming the fear of death, which for a warrior, uh, as you might expect, was actually quite a handy thing to overcome. So it encouraged um, a sense of stoicism and to the pursuit of other meditative properties. So for example, as a, on top of normal meditation, the samurai developed a, a keen uh, sense for tea ceremony on top of just their plain old martial training. One of the uh, major status symbols for the Japanese was, of course, their swords. They had uh, very distinctive two swords, uh, a long sword called a katana, and a short sword that they used uh, to fight. Among other tenets that was uh, followed by the samurai was, above all else, you had to have a loyalty for your lord, whether even if that meant going against your own family. So... There was a very, very extreme attachment to that sense of hierarchy where you owed everything to the one that you're serving. Um, obviously, as much as is that is something that they espoused, how much that was actually practiced in question is always up for debate. As humans, I want to do, we will say one thing and very quickly do another. Even then... <laughs> Their sense of honour was such that even if they did something dishonourable, one of the ways they could redeem themselves is through an act called seppaku, which was the ritual suicide that we alluded to earlier. And it was often the preferable way to end things than to continue to live in dishonour. Seppaku, to uh, quickly explain it, involved uh, stabbing yourself into your abdomen with a short uh, sword and dragging it across thus cutting all your innits and spilling them out uh whilst someone beheads you quickly afterwards so quite a grisly way to go but it was supposed to be a, a way of you know apologizing so as part well. so it didn't make some kind of logical sense i i guess you could say and just to top it all off uh on the topic of beheadings uh, they also found the idea of beheading your enemies as a trophy a very big thing. Where it was uh, often described in their battles that uh, to behead your enemy was like, a, uh, like essentially a trophy. Um, in fact, uh, often when they would go to war, like especially overseas, as they later did to Korea, One of the issues that they found was obviously transporting all of these uh, trophies back home. That can give you a bit of a glimpse as to how widespread and uh, commodified this practice was. So, getting back to Yasuke. After they arrived in Kushinitsu, he became somewhat of a local celebrity. Uh, Crowds came to see him, especially when they first arrived. And um, obviously as the word spread, he became somewhat of a phenomenon. Uh, Partly was due to his uh, uh, darker complexion. His dark skin is said to have resembled um, the Buddha deity as he was uh, portrayed at the time. Or even uh, uh, some statues of uh, Daikoku, god of wealth and prosperity. In fact, one um, anecdote uh, states that when they visit Kyoto, a mob uh, to see Yasuke became so large that people got trampled. And when he took refuge within a Jesuit church, they broke down the doors just to see him. So, yes, uh, they definitely were experiencing some mania for him at the time. <laughs> so, yes, uh, while he was valeting for Alessandro, so sort of like being a bodyguard and attending to some of their needs, uh, he would have uh, learned the local dialect. Uh, possibly assisted in uh, in uh, training uh, uh, their men um, or training alongside them, just uh, in terms of fighting whilst uh, the Jesuits were forming alliances with the local warlords. Um, For example, obviously, while it may not actually have been him, there are uh, decorated screens from Japan that do show Japanese and black men wrestling with one another. So Not to say it was actually Yasuke that was depicted there, but uh, uh, we can never rule it out. In uh, 1581, when they uh, arrived in Kyoto, they had an audience with Odo Nobunaga, who was uh, a total military dictator and as much of a leader as there was at the time. Um... Just a brief aside and quickly explain who Odo was. He came from the Obari province and quickly uh, took that province over when he came into power um, as a successor from his father. And He was uh, quite cunning and uh, revolutionary in terms of his thinking. So definitely in terms of his uh, military tactics, uh, he's said to be one of the first uh, users of uh, guns within Japan who quickly adapted it into his uh, military. He um, also was uh, great at uh, dividing and conquering his uh, rivals, either through political or economical means. Uh, For example, he quickly supported and then deposed of uh, what was left of the previous shogunate at the time, and essentially forcing the emperor to recognize him as uh, the de facto ruler. Uh, One particularly interesting uh, incident that I wish to share with you was uh, his treatment of the uh, Enryakuji Temple, um, which housed... I just can't express how happy I am that I get to say this uh, phrase out loud. A uh, band of fighting monks who uh, were causing uh, trouble in the area by refusing to bow down to him. Um, obviously, the next sentence is not as fun to say, where don't Nobunaga... Uh, surrounded the forest and set it on fire, uh, which led to the death of uh, over twenty-five thousand people. But just to give you a uh, a picture of the brilliance and complete ruthlessness of this man, um, yeah, he was also like a great economic reformer uh, in terms of uh, finding ways to diminish uh, the revenue of his rivals by like abolishing certain taxes, like road for roads and uh, guilds. So yeah, he was just, uh, as stated before, he was a very uh, important figurehead in Japanese history. And when the when Yasuki and him met together, he was certainly impressed by Yasuke. Initially, um, he thought his skin was covered in ink and demanded that it be washed off. A bit of a strange request, but uh, in Japan there was this practice called Ahaguro at the time, where they would use lacquer, black lacquer to paint their teeth so it was a solid black color something like nail varnish and would be applied a few times a week and this was uh, done by the higher society so i guess it wasn't that far off for him to think somebody would have done that to their skin i guess uh yeah they hit it off uh immediately uh as some records suggest um uh, Nobunaga was actually the one who uh, said that Yasuke had the strength of 10 men. Uh, he threw a big feast in his honor on that same day and uh, apparently he told one of his nephews to give him a great sum of money. Just uh, I guess that was uh, a thing to do at a time when you were impressed by someone. <laughs> uh, uh, shortly thereafter Yasuke uh, came into Nobunaga's service um, essentially departing from the Jesuits Along this time, he became a weapon bearer for Nominaga, which is a symbolic role, but still highly prestigious uh, and reportedly became a confidant for him for overseas matters. He also was given uh, his own set of katanas, so essentially a status symbol as well for being a samurai. He was given a stipend, so like um, a regular source of money. Uh, a residence in Azuchi Castle, which is nearby in Kyoto as well, and his own servants. So it's safe to say for well, a very short period of time, he kind of ingratiated himself very quickly within the inner circles of uh, Oda Nobunaga's court. And it goes without saying, um, Yasuke would have uh, joined uh, Nobunaga on his military campaigns. One that he definitely would have been on, gone to the Iga province in Uh, 1581 uh, which was a a sort of revenge for Nobunaga as his son had previously failed to take this uh, land a few years prior. Um, They went with an overwhelming force uh, to battle the locals. Um, I'm not going to go too far into it because this episode is uh, running a bit long as it is, but to briefly talk about them, uh, they were called shinobis. Uh, some people refer to them as ninjas. Obviously, it's not uh, what anything that we think of ninjas as in uh, the modern setting, in terms of it being all shrouded in black garb and being able to uh, appear out of nowhere through magic. But they were, by all accounts, uh, trained uh, killers who were um, more stealthy than most. Yes, um, after that area was finally conquered, uh, they would have also warred against the Takeda clan and would have had plans to uh, attack uh, the Mori. Um, Obviously, that did not come to fruition as in in 1582, uh, Nobunaga retired to the Honoji temple back in Kyoto uh, to rest. And this is where we are reaching our conclusion, as one of Nobunaga's followers, Akechi Mutahide, had decided that that was a wonderful time to stage a coup. There's been a lot of speculation as to the reason why he would do so. I love people saying that he was uh, gravely insulted by Nobunaga many times over the years. Nobunaga, his known to have been a very temperamental man. But regardless, uh, Akechi Mutuhide marched to uh, Kyoto with a force of 1400 whilst Nobunaga had a scant few uh, attendants with him um, and quickly surrounded uh, Hinoji temple. And during the siege it on fire which <laughs> over the course of my readings I actually found out was not the first time it was um, set ablaze so it seems uh that fate uh uh kept repeating itself with that place yes uh, obviously nobunaga realized that he uh, was in an unmovable situation and decided to commit seppuku throughout this yasuke would have uh, either been defending or attending to his lord afterwards would have um most likely tried to flee to one of his uh supporters either to one of his sons who also subsequently uh, committed seppuku uh, rather than being um captured and uh, from there Yasuke's uh mentioned from history vanishes yet again um there is some educated speculation as to where he could have ended up uh the most likely theory is that he was either captured And sent back to the Jesuits or just came back to the Jesuits. They would have been uh, in the port of Nagasaki at the time and either resumed his employ there or continued his travels elsewhere. Either that or some of the other theories could be that he uh, stayed in uh, Japan. Again, there was no mention of him with with any of the subsequent feudal lords that came came into power so it's unlikely that he would have uh, remained uh, within the high society, but he could have uh, been a roaming samurai or ronin some a samurai without a master and that concludes uh, the tale of Yasuke Thank you again for taking your time to listen all the way to the end it's been so much fun and so interesting just to research for this episode, I thought it was a uh, good one to try out just because of so many places and so many people that Yosuke had. I'm barely scratching the surface if anything and there were some things I had to cut out just to make this a bit more of a uh, compatible and a bit of an easier listening experience. At least I thought so anyway. Um, I apologize if um My uh, dulcet tones were not (laughs) as pleasing to the ear as I hoped they would be, but I am always striving to improve. So, any feedback that anyone would have is always greatly appreciated. And I hope you stick around for many more episodes to to come. Um, Yeah, so once again, this has been The Eternal Wanderer. And in all the social media links will be down. Will be somewhere in the description. And I hope to beg you listen to me again soon. Have a good day, evening, morning, whatever time you're listening. <laughs>